0: morning, Lompoc Campus. How are you? For those of you who do not know me, my name is Tyler and I have the great privilege of being the Lompoc Campus pastor here at Four Crossroads. Um, I'm just going to give you a forewarning. Forgive me if I fall off the stage because <laughs> we, we were talking. And he's like, hey, where are you going to stand for the sermon? I was like, oh, on the platform. And I looked and I was like, there's not much of it left. So I'm, I was almost like, maybe I'll go down here. But then Yes, exactly. The front row is like, no, 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 no. Holy man syndrome. They're like, you can't stand that close to me. No one wants to be that close to a priest, right? I'm not a priest. I'm not a priest. It's just an analogy. Just an analogy. But my name is Tyler, and I have the great privilege of being the Lompoc campus pastor here for Crossroads. And every single week, we do our best, regardless of who it is that's communicating and giving the message, to tell you about the person of Jesus. Uh, And this Jesus person, we actually believe is the greatest person that ever lived or walked on the face of the earth. And as I alluded in the prayer, we actually believe he's much more than a person. But he is actually God in the flesh who walked among us. And in order to learn about this person whom we follow named Jesus, we read what's called the Bible. And so if you're new here and maybe you did not bring your Bible, maybe you've been here a while, you forgot your Bible, we have Bibles in the back ready for you. So if you just want to slip up your hand, you can follow along with us as we open up the Bible to learn about Jesus. If you don't have a Bible, please, I encourage you, take that home with you. It's yours. Write your name in it. Read it every single day because every time you read the Bible, we say you, you get to meet with Jesus, that's right. See, we have these little slogans around here you'll pick up on that people just seem to know. You could be here for one week and I promise you by next week you're like, yeah, I know all their slogans. I can finish all their sentences. It's not too hard. But we have been in this series entitled Prayer, And as we were coming out of uh, a series, we normally do books of the Bible as a church where we go and we read entire books of the Bible and learn about the person of Jesus. And and so we decided to do a series on prayer. And, And some of the reason why is because prayer is something that is vitally important. As the video talked about, it's not a position, but it's a disposition. It's one of the most important aspects of following Jesus in the Christian faith. And yet, most of us, regardless of how long we've been following Jesus, probably are a little bit confused and have. Questions regarding aspects of prayer, how does it work? Do we have to do it a certain way? Are there words that I should say? Are there words I shouldn't say? Are there things that will inhibit my prayers from reaching God, or do they always go? Are there answered? What do I do about unanswered prayers? All of these things are questions that we've been wrestling with in our series of prayer, and some of them we maybe not necessarily have answered, but we've given clarity of maybe how to reframe how you think about this idea. Of prayer. If you want to hear any of those previous sermons, they are all on our website, Spotify, Instagram. But why is it that we are doing a series on prayer? What's funny is during Jesus' three-year ministry, he had 12 disciples that went absolutely everywhere with him. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the person of Jesus, he did some incredible things. As, as he began doing his ministry, he was baptized just like we saw today by John the Baptist. And as he arose, there was a dove, a bird that descended from heaven. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, and an audible voice came down and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Um, that would be pretty crazy to see, okay? If you saw that, you did not see that today. Sorry, Cody. That's not what happened today, all right? Um, that would be, even for me, I'm like, that's bizarre, Okay. As Jesus would continue his ministry, he began going into cities. And as he went into these cities, the entire population of the city would begin to be in a frantic frenzy as they would gather everyone that was sick, crippled, demon-possessed, and they would race them as Jesus would come into the city with the hopes that he would just touch them and they would be made well. Entire cities would gather all of their sick just to see this person, Jesus, with the expectation that maybe they will be made well. He would go through, and a woman would touch the hem of his garment, and she would be cured of a disease that she had had since birth. A boy who would throw himself in the fire under the possession of a demon, and Jesus would come down, and he would just say, get out of him, and the boy would be made well forever. Jesus did some amazing, miraculous, incredible things that if you were one of the 12 who followed him, I would have a list of things of, a hey, Jesus, show me how you did that. Hey, Jesus, teach me how you do this. And for today's society, it would be more about influence. It would be more about Jesus. How do, you have, how do you get 5,000 people to go in the middle of nowhere just to hear you speak? These are questions that we would be asking. And yet the disciples asked a very different question, a question that probably none of us would even think to answer. But the disciples came to him, and we see in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, two instances where the disciples come and they have one request, Jesus Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Jesus would often retreat into the wilderness, into desolate places where there was no one else around, and sometimes all night long he would be praying to the Father. Now, I don't know about you, after hearing all of these amazing things in which Jesus did, and one thing that he always seemed to do, it seems like Jesus had a pretty high importance and value of prayer, whatever that means. And you may be here this morning and you're like, I don't quite know what that means. That's okay. The first thing we have to recognize is whatever it means, whatever it is, Jesus seemed to hold it in the highest of value to the point where all 12 of the men who followed him, one thing they could ask that he would teach them to do was teach us how to pray. Teach us what you do in the secret. Teach us how you commune and have relationship with God the Father. Because it seems to influence and impact all of the rest of what you do. We say this, we say prayer is the real, tangible, active way in which we experience and follow Jesus. Okay, sometimes some of us may have this experience with prayer that maybe you have to say certain words. Maybe it's before you eat food. Maybe it's before you just eat unhealthy food and you're trying to get it to be healthy food and you pray to God that that would happen. All of us have this idea of prayer, but what prayer at its very core is, it is the real tangible way, an active way that we experience and follow Jesus. So this morning we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's almost all the way to the back. 1 Thessalonians 5, if you hit like a a concordance or maps, you've gone a little bit too far. A couple more pages the other way and you'll be there. 1 Thessalonians, it's only a couple pages long. If you have a smartphone, I don't know how to tell you to find it. Just type it in and your phone will probably know exactly where to take you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're just going to be reading two verses this morning. I'll give you a moment to flip there because I want everyone to read and see this with their own Eyes. First Thessalonians 5, we're going to be verses 16, 17, and 18. Take your time, take your time. I had to go to Bible college to learn where all these books were. Paid a lot of money to know where all these books are, so. <laughs> and still sometimes I'm like, that's a book in the Bible? I didn't know that. thought you were making that up. First Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. This is Paul writing to a city. Thessalonica was actually a region, a city, in which Paul is writing this letter to. And this is what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Brace yourself. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity where, yet again, we can open the scriptures and learn more about your son, Jesus, who, though in the form of man, didn't consider it something to be grasped, but came down and emptied himself on our behalf so that we could now have communion and relationship with you. Lord, help us this morning as we understand or try to understand a complicated topic. Uh, Not a topic that we will ever fully grasp or understand, but Lord, maybe this morning there's just one thing that you have for us. Maybe there's just one small part that you want to work on our hearts, and so Lord, we surrender to you. We open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what it is you have for us this morning. We love you and we thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray, and everyone says amen. 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 So many of you have prayed. Uh, Many statistics actually say about 87% of people. Now, this is not just church people. This is not just religious people. It's 87% of people have prayed within the last three months to some capacity. 87% of people to some capacity have prayed in the last three months. Now, not that your prayers ever are like this, but I I can think of times when I've been driving and that gas light gets a little low for comfort, especially if you're on the five going somewhere. And all of a sudden you find yourself in the driver's seat. I'm sure my wife has probably prayed this multiple times because she gets that gas line close. Sorry, babe. She's not even in here to listen to me. Man, look at that. She doesn't even know. She doesn't even know. She gets that gas line. Oh, there she is. Gets that, uh, gets pretty close to that empty where suddenly you find yourself knowing good well where the gas station is and you know it's going to be close and you utter up this prayer. God, let there be a gas station closer that I can go to. Now, I'm not saying you ever pray this. I have prayed this before. And when I actually begin to think about it, what am I asking God to do in that moment? Lord, I just want you to somehow magically put this gas station here so that I can fill my tank. Now, that is an honest prayer that I've been like, oh, Lord, please let there just be a gas station. I know there's not, but God, I know that you're the creator of the universe. You're able to do anything and everything far above what I could ever think or imagine. It is not outside of the realm of possibility that you could just drop a gas station there that would accept debit card, and I could just fill my tank up. Please let that happen. That's that's been an honest prayer. Uh, sometimes I think we pray. I don't know if you've ever watched the news. Um, don't if you if you haven't. Good for you. Don't. Um, let me tell you. Let me let me just be honest with you about news. Um, all of them are biased. Okay. So what happens is regardless of what you watch, it's like they're trying to tell you a part of the story, to try and sway you and convince you that this is actually what you want to think. Don't Like, don't listen about this. We're not even going to bring it up. Like, this is all we want you to hear. And honestly, if we think about it, sometimes our prayer life, we're like a news anchor to God. We're going, Lord, I need you to do this. Well, I'm not going to bring up any of this stuff. I don't want you to know about this, so I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to have some tact. I've been called someone who has tact in how I communicate. And granted, I think that's a great thing. Also, sometimes that is straight manipulation. And I think sometimes in our prayer language, we try and manipulate almost like God doesn't know what's going on. And I'm going to tactfully approach God and leave out certain things, use appropriate language. I'm going to use big words, honestly. I mean, how many of you have ever prayed with someone and you're like, dang, they pray really good. Like I was just having a conversation with someone. Yesterday and it was like, isn't that such a strange remark to make? Like, wow, you know all of these terminology and these big words. Again, I went to Bible college. Like, I know some big words. So it's like I could have the illusion of, oh man, that guy, that guy prays pretty good. But is that all that prayer is? What does our society even think about prayer? That's just within the church that we have these ideas of prayer, but what about society? I don't know if you know this, Um, prayer is not just brought up in Christian music. Um, There was a man by the name of Bon Jovi, has a whole song entitled Living on a Prayer. Uh, I just, once I remembered that I was like, I'm just going to do research and see all of the different songs that people have written and come up with around this idea of prayer. So let me just tell you a couple people. Bon Jovi, written a song about prayer. Sam Smith, who if you don't know who he is, really good artist, not a believer, has a whole song just entitled Prayer. Justin Bieber has a song about prayer. Um, Kendrick Lamar, if you know who that is, you would not expect him. He has a song on prayer. Duran Duran has a song about care. Uh, Kesha has a song about prayer. So even our society understands and grasps this concept of prayer. And what happens is they begin to write these songs that ultimately will lead us to a place of understanding prayer inappropriately. The way that people in our society are understanding prayer and propagating prayer is going to lead us to a place where we have some major struggles and challenges with the idea of God our Father if we don't wrestle well together about what is prayer. And again, I want to remind you, prayer is this real, tangible, active way in which we experience and follow Jesus. So, how does this apply to 1 Thessalonians? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. We've talked about this a little bit. We're going to go a little bit deeper this morning of what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Because I don't know about you. When you read that, you go, yep, no, I'm already going to fail that. Like, it's walking into a science test for me where I know just based on the subject, yeah, no, I'm not going to pass that test. Like, sorry. English, maybe. History, fantastic. Science, not even going to try. Many of us read this, and we go, okay, like, rejoice always. That's really hard. Pray without ceasing, pff, throw that one out. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to achieve that. But it's important that we wrestle well with the idea of what does it mean to pray without ceasing. Because this is what Paul tells the Thessalonians. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God for your life in the person of Jesus, that you would rejoice always, you would pray without ceasing, and you would give thanks in all circumstances. So let's just go for it. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? And hopefully by the end of this, again, it may not be this whole understanding of you walk out of here going like, I fully grasp and understand the concept, idea, and practice of prayer. I'm still wrestling, struggling, and trying to wrap my head around what does it mean to really pray. My hope and prayer for you is maybe there will be one thing that you go, you know what? That kind of made something a little bit more clear, and it just affects your prayer life in magnificent ways. So let's turn to Hebrews. I'll read this to you. Don't feel like you have to turn there. This is coming from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. This is what the author of Hebrews says. Since, therefore... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, and that is Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. This is the author of Hebrews talking about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, and yet he was without sin. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So often, again, I'm not talking about you. We'll just talk about the pastor for a moment, all right? When I fall short and when I know I fall short, when there's things that not just like I made a bit of a mistake, but that absolutely was sinful, that was wrong, can I tell you, there's a, there's a sense that I feel like it's, there's this boundary that I can't come to God. Deep within me, there's this idea, this concept, this, this fence that when I sin, automatically I go like, okay, like I'm getting further and further from God. And the more I sin, the further and further I get. And now it's like I'm never going to be able to get back to where I was, and this is how I view my relationship, not just with God, but with this idea of prayer when I desperately need something, and I go like, yeah, but let's let's evaluate, let's get the scales out and see what I've done this week, or even just today, maybe in the past hour, and now I'm going to pray to God, but I know that those scale is so outweighed. I've done far too much that what do I do? I begin to struggle, doubt, and I'm like, I'm not actually able to come before God the Father who I know loves me. This is what Hebrews is talking about. This is what he says. Let us with confidence draw near. Not because I'm without sin, but because Jesus, our good high priest who is able to sympathize, he was without sin. And therefore, I am in a position where I am able to draw near in boldness and confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Can I tell you what you need to do? You need to approach with boldness and confidence. Not because of the good acts that you've done, not because of the good things that you've lined up, not because of how you've tilted the scale to where you think God will now be more approachable, but because you now follow the one who is at the right hand of God currently. You are following Jesus. And that is what makes you with boldness be able to come regardless of what you've done. Regardless of what baggage you bring in, you're able to approach with confidence and boldness. And just to solidify this point even more, how do I know this to be true? Matthew 11, this is Jesus himself. This is the story that we see many of you in this room regardless of if you follow Jesus regardless of how you long you've been in church have probably heard this or maybe seen this written over someone's door or on the back of a car this should be a familiar verse and let me tell you this is one of the most this is one of my favorite verses in all the bible i don't know if i'm supposed to have favorites but i this is one of them this is one of them so take heed listen carefully this is what jesus says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Let me just repeat that. Some of you need to hear this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Read that one more time. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is, and my burden is light. What's so amazing, what makes this one of my favorite verses is we read this and we go, oh, that sounds great. Like, I could use some rest. Um, some of us need to stop resting and actually get to work, okay? And you know who you are. I don't know who you are. You know who you are. Some of us need to stop resting and, and work. But there's others of us in here that we work, 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 and you actually need to learn how to rest. And this rest doesn't come from taking a day off. It doesn't come from going to the beach. It doesn't come from going fishing, or it doesn't come from going surfing. But it comes from Jesus. This is what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Listen to what the heart of Jesus is. This is the only time where we actually have Jesus himself telling you about his heart. We don't have this in any other portion of scripture where Jesus himself is describing actually what his heart is like. And many of us would apply different attributes to that. We would go, oh, like, What is the heart of Jesus all about? Like, we're going to plug in our own words. Wrath, justice. We're going to do all that. Jesus actually gives us himself what his heart is all about. It is gentle and lowly. This is the heart of Jesus. He is gentle and lowly. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. Another word for that is kind. My yoke is kind in the original language is actually what it says. And my burden... Is like what Jesus is telling the people. Do you want to know how you're able to take my yoke? Do you want to know how you're able to find rest? It's when you are heavy laden and have burdens. This actually is the prerequisite which is required for us to come to know Jesus. We are burdened and heavy laden. So if you have this grand idea that you need to begin to present yourself in such a way and God will treat you any differently or will somehow get you higher up the corporate ladder, the better that you make yourself before you come to know Jesus, let me tell you right now, it seems to be that your burdens, your lack of rest, the weariness, all of those things, Jesus actually says, that's the prerequisite. This is what makes you eligible to have communion with me. All of those things actually is what gives us the ability to approach the throne of God with confidence, not because we are without sin, but because we trust and recognize and follow the one who is. How do we begin to understand what it means to pray without ceasing? The the first thing that's going to stand in your way is when you believe there's a scale that God has weighed out for you and he's constantly switching things back and forth. And that's what gives you the availability to come and pray before God. And let me tell you, that is a lie. Jesus already paid the price so that we can have constant relationship and communication with God. So pray without ceasing, why do we do this and how do we do this? I was, we were talking with a couple people, and I can't remember who it was, the one that said it. It was a phenomenal saying. I'd like to think it was me. I know it wasn't me because I'm not a wrestler. But we were talking about this idea of wrestling with God. Um, maybe Fred, you were there. Was it Pastor Rick that said that, wrestle with God, walk with a limp? And it was like, that's actually pretty good. And I, since Friday, I have not gotten that out of my head. Wrestle with God, you walk with a limp. And I've, I've been more and more trying to break that down and distill it down to what it actually means. See, prayer is both wrestling with God in the darkness and it's resting in the stillness. There's this duality, this, this uh, paradox with prayer where it's wrestling with God in the darkness, but it's also being able to rest in the stillness. And as I've been thinking about wrestling with God and you walk with a limp, I've been trying to think, is that appropriate? Is that good? And so I've naturally opened up the Bible, um, and I began to read stories of men in the Bible. And I just went to the beginning. I was like, well, let's take a look. Adam, say he walked with a pretty big limp, like sin came into the world. That's a big limp. I began to just look through and see all the people that I would say, man, they wrestled with God to some capacity. Like we have within scripture this this wrestling with God actively, sometimes rubbing, like, oh, I don't know about this, God. Like what's going on? And I looked at Moses as he's called to lead the people out of Egypt. And what does he say? Like, I can't do that begins wrestling with God. That's, that's not for me to do. I'm not able to speak. I have a speech impediment. I can't do this. And he begins wrestling with God. And what happens? His brother is appointed the speaker to go along with Moses. And let me tell you, that journey was difficult and hard because of Aaron partaking in what God did not intend from the beginning. He asked Moses to do it. And ever since Aaron got involved, there is this tension This bit of a limp that seemed like Moses had. I went even more. I went to Jacob. Jacob is actually the person where we physically see, it says he wrestled with God and he touched his hip joint and he walked with a limp after that. Physically wrestled with God. I look at David. David, who you read the Psalms and there is this constant wrestling with God where sometimes he is actually crying out to God in anger, frustration sometimes with a broken heart, not understanding what God is doing. And then we look at the life of David and we think, man, he must be so holy. The Bible even describes David as a man who is after God's own heart. And yet we look at the life of David and what happened and what took place. Murdering a man, taking his wife, having a baby, the baby dying, his son overthrowing his kingdom. This is a man after God's own heart. And it seems like there was something That he walked with a limp his whole life, metaphorically, in his relationship. We go to Peter. We go to Paul. And it's funny. Paul is actually the one that I came to the conclusion of maybe it's actually good that we as believers are able to recognize. I walk with a limp in my relationship with God. Paul actually talks about how three times he prayed that the, the burden would be removed from him. He, most people believe he couldn't see. And three times he pleaded with God to take this away. And all of a sudden, after three times of prayer, God tells him something. It says, My, do you guys know it? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm made perfect in your weakness. And it seems like as soon as that happened, you know what Paul did not continue to do? He did not continue to pray for God to remove that from him. It seemed like there was this understanding of, you know what, God? I actually like the sound of that. You mean in my weakness, you are made perfect? You mean your grace is actually sufficient enough, even through all the trials and tribulations, even the things that I'm dealing with and wrestling with right now, and you would say your grace is sufficient for me? That your power is made perfect in my weakness. See, the ones who should be concerned are the ones that don't realize they have a limp. The ones that think, hey, I got it all together. I'm totally fine. You don't have to worry about me. No, everything is good. But let me tell you, there are things that as the more and more that I kind of wrestled with this statement, that as I wrestle with God, as I rub shoulders with God, as I'm unhappy, as I'm frustrated, and how that manifests out is through constant Prayer. Can I tell you, when you're frustrated, we talked about anger in the men's gathering. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. I think there is something that when we come before God and we're frustrated and we're angry, but we do it appropriately, that is prayer. Where we communicate with God our unhappiness, our unsettledness, our frustration about an event, and yet through that actually frustrating, upsetting, something is being distilled out where you recognize Actually, God, I may not like it, I may be frustrated, but your power is made perfect in my weakness. Your grace is actually sufficient for me in all situations. Praying without ceasing is crucially important that we do this. And as we do this, we'll find ourselves more at peace. Can I tell you, I think sometimes we think pray without ceasing actually means we're physically communicating with God. Like we have this constant phone call that we're on with God. And I'm sure all of you have probably been on the phone where it was silent for too long. And you're like, are you there? (laughs) Right? Sometimes that's my wife where I'm on the phone and it's just been a long day. And I'll be short answers. And she has to go... Did I lose you? Are you there? It's like, oh, no, I'm here. Sometimes we think that we have to keep this constant communication going with God in order to pray without ceasing. But I want to challenge some of that a little bit for you this morning. I, I hope to make it a little bit more tangible for you of what does it actually mean to pray without ceasing. Psalm 37 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. How do we have this active relationship and experience with Jesus? Can I tell you there's something in me that goes, I think praying without ceasing, I think that's delighting in the Lord. At every turn, at every experience, at everything that's coming your way, and instead you actively recognize, Lord, I'm delighting in your presence. I'm delighting in who you are, and not only am I delighting in who you are, not only delighting in what you will do, but God, I'm delighting in what you have already done. See, we have this idea that we need to chase the next experience, the next thing, the next blessing, and sometimes I think, Lord, can I just reflect for some time? can't even be a moment. It can't be five minutes. It can't be an hour because the more you begin to recognize and realize all the ways that the Lord has been present in your life to get you to exactly where you are right now. Man, there is a delight that is going to come. And ultimately, I think that is praying without ceasing. When we are able to sit and delight in the Lord, and we know, man, that is a prayer to God. Another one I want to share with you is John 17. We recently went through a series in John. This is John 17, and this is what it says. Sorry, John 15, not John 17. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? that this is actually the will of God for your life. Let me tell you, it is not this, you're constantly having this voice in your head that is saying things to God, pleading things with God, checking in with God, Lord, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing this? Am I living in sin? Am I not living in sin? What it is, it is abiding with Jesus. When you abide in Jesus, remember, prayer is not, we didn't say prayer is communicating with God. Prayer actually goes far beyond that. There's something important about when we communicate with God. But if that's all that we view prayer as, man, we will be selling short the act of prayer that was outlined for us. Prayer is the real, tangible, and active way in which we experience and follow Jesus. When we abide in Jesus, naturally we are going to follow and experience him. What's been challenging me with this idea of prayer is there's a scripture in Romans that talks about when your spirit doesn't, when, when you don't know what to pray, the spirit groans within you things too deep for words. And I've been thinking about that. and I've been thinking about when I abide in Jesus, when I delight myself in Jesus, does my spirit groan with things too deep for words only during times of heartache and hardship only in times when I think I need it? Or is there this constant groaning that my spirit is making as I follow, abide, and delight myself in the person of Jesus? Is there this overflowing kind of nonverbal noise that my spirit is making as I am aligning myself with Jesus and following Jesus and experiencing the goodness that he has for me? Is there something too deep for words that's happening? Is there something that the eyes can't see and the ears can't hear that spiritually is taking place? We need to abide in Jesus as he abides in us and we in him. And as you find yourself asking for verbal things, as you, as you begin to unlock what it means not just to pray without ceasing and follow and abide and delight in the person of Jesus, but as you begin to actually communicate with words, whether it's in your head, whether it's with your mouth, let me encourage you. Sometimes we, we think of these things and it's like, Lord, I want to make sure I'm doing something right or I'm not doing something wrong. Am I living in sin or am I not living in sin? And this is how we begin to weigh the scale of our verbal communication with God. And let me tell you, if every conversation I had with my wife simply was, are you happy with me or are you unhappy with me? Lord, uh, babe, I hope I'm making you happy with all that I'm doing. And if that's all that I'm constantly doing, or maybe it's, Lord, God, babe, what am I doing that's making you unhappy? And that's all that I'm asking or checking in. Let me tell you, that is not what your relationship is supposed to be like, and it's not supposed to be that way with God either. Instead of weighing the scale out of going, is this sin or is this not sin? Is this bringing glory to God or is this upsetting God? Maybe what we need to start praying to God is, Lord, Is this standing in the way of me experiencing you to your fullness? Because I don't know if the answer is that you are not going to experience my fullness. Me sitting on the couch watching Netflix for four hours, let me be honest with you, that is standing in the way of me experiencing God to the fullness. Now, would I go so far as to say that's a sin? Probably not. Everyone needs to rest, unwind every once in a while, right? But when we look at is this something that is going to bring glory to God, See, if we change our view, we warp our perspective to go, God, I want every single thing I do to not stand in the way of what you have for me. Align my spirit with yours so that it can groan with things too deep for words as I delight, experience your goodness. And we begin to reframe everything we do. Is this not, is this a sin against you? Am I doing good or am I doing bad? But Lord, I want to do what you have for me. I want to make you happy, not in sin or not sin, but a delight and a goodness. So I would encourage you, continue to read, understand, and challenge yourself in prayer. And let me tell you right now, if you think at the end of this series you're going to have all the answers, you are not. It's important that we do life together, and that's why we so strongly encourage the Sunday morning gathering because this is where we do life together. So if you have questions further on on your journey of prayer and relationship with Jesus, find someone in this room, have them pray for you. Maybe they can have wisdom and insight that you didn't have that will help carry you through through this next season. Uh, But as we close today, I'm gonna close in prayer So if you would bow your heads with me, Jesus, we thank you for the act of prayer, this real, tangible, active way that we not only experience, but we follow Jesus. Uh, Lord, again, I pray through the fumbling words of a man that you would just make one thing stick in people's hearts, even for me, as this is a topic that I still struggle with. I still think about, I still ponder, I still get challenged. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing horrible at it, and that displeases you, and I begin to get the scales out, even for myself, of how happy are you with me, and that is not what the intention of prayer is all about. So, Lord, encourage my heart, encourage the hearts of others that they would just be in communion with you, that they would look for ways to experience you, delight in you, and abide in you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray, and everyone says amen.